Hey everyone, we're back with another week of Find Your Film. This is for the week ending December 24th, 2021. Christmas Eve, Christmas time, happy holidays time. Happy holidays to Eric Holmes, a.k.a. Serendipity, and Bruce Perky, uh, Bruce Perky, a.k.a. Saren Perkity. Eric Holmes, can you under, can you just really just lift the veil and explain why you guys have this Saren name added to your moniker what what are we going to be re- covering this week you know, on find your film no greg i really i really can't explain it. it's just kind no of serendipitous answer. i guess serendipitous what anything you want to add to that bruce about he said it's serendipitous well, we just walked out of elevators at the same time and looked at each other and it was our names i mean a little, it was meant a to little be. bit of, okay a little bit so maybe there might be a little bit of serendipity with this episode we're gonna actually get into that probably later Towards the end of this episode, serendipity should be something interesting to talk about. Our big three movies that we're going to be featuring this week are this foreign film called Drive My Car, which we've all seen. Don't Look Up, a Netflix film which is coming out this Friday. It was released in select theaters last week. Eric Holmes, if you guys remember from last episode, Eric, you actually paid good money to see this in the theater. And do you remember what rating you gave this movie? I believe we gave it five stars. You called it a banger. Yes, and... I would pay good money again. And you would pay, oh, oh, very good money again. Eric Holmes throws the first, I don't even know how to say it, salve out there or something. He He's, he's actually getting his shields ready for <laughs> for the sharp knives that Bruce Perky and I have. Who, who knows? Maybe we might, maybe Bruce and I really loved Don't Look Up as much as Eric Holmes did. So um, I'm ready. We're ready to air, you know, whatever we're going to say about Don't Look Up, we're just listen to Eric's advice on to, on to see Don't Look Up as well, because he said it's also very hilarious. So he's going to expound on that a little bit. Last but not least, definitely not least, is this film called The Power of the Dog, which is currently streaming on Netflix. It's winning all the awards from critic circles. And I think it's Bruce Perky's all-time favorite movie. I, Bruce, I, was I wrong? I'm not very good at facts. Yeah, you, you were wrong. You were supposed to say last but least. That's, la, that's oh, la, la, oh, oh, okay. Thank you for the dry wit and the, the, the meanness. You're not why you don't like dogs, Bruce. Is that why you don't like the power of dogs? Is that why? Huh? I don't. I don't like them being more powerful than me. I like to beat them to within <laughs> mm-hmm. an inch of their lives. Let them whine and whimper. My you, my dog will tell you it's you true. Evil, mean man. <laughs> so evil. I kick him. <laughs> well, here's the good news. Yeah, both Bruce and I we, we saw this movie a couple weeks ago. Eric Combs is doing a rewind catch up on the power of the dog. We finally get to talk about the power of the dog. So those are our main three movies, and then Eric and Bruce will have some recommendations. Before we close out that, well, I guess we're closing out the year next week. But for Christmas, Eric Holmes, are you? Is this a holiday that you're excited? What happens? Do you actually on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve? Do you watch a lot of movies with your family, Christmas themed or what? Uh, usually on Christmas Eve, uh, we're up pretty late, wrapping last minute gifts, and then Christmas Day rolls around, and by the time I wander downstairs, the presents are already open. So I wander back upstairs, pass back, <laughs> and then uh, like, ah, you guys need me. You know where you know where I'm at. <laughs> so basically, that's Christmas your- is just recovery day for me. Oh, that's a recovery. Is it's Christmas a recovery day for you, Bruce? How how is it with your family on a Christmas? Are you guys festive on that day? Mm, Christmas Eve, we make cookies usually on Christmas Eve, and then uh, Christmas Day. Usually the TV's on. Usually it's like um, either it's a bunch of Harry Potter movies or a bunch of superhero movies just kind of on in the background playing. And then uh, I'm cooking a good chunk of the day. And well, what, do you co- what are you usually it. cooking? What are you usually cooking? What are you cooking this year? How about that? How, what, are you, what are you cooking this year? Um, this year we've got ham, prime rib, potatoes, 
garlic bread, green beans, wine. Mm. Wine. What kind? Oh, nice. Why not? Wine. Wine. Okay, that's pretty festive. Are you good? So, Harry Potter and and MCU theme movies, Bruce. Is that your kind of whatever bag? the kids what pick? Go- they they throw it up there, and I, it's just like it's it's free reign. They can just let it run all day, whatever they want to have on. So. Yeah. All right. Cool. Very, very cool. That's our, our Christmas. I don't do anything for Christmas. I just watch movies on Netflix and uh, maybe I'll just watch The Power of the Dog again. Well, let's not start with The Power of the Dog and let's not, st- let's not start with Don't Look Up. Let's start off with this film, Drive My Car. It's directed by Ryosuke Hamaguchi. It has been winning awards. It was winner of the Best Feature Film and Best Screenplay at the Asia Pacific Screen Awards. It's a shoe-in to receive an Oscar nomination for Best International Film. Who knows? It might get a Best a best Film nomination as well. I, th- I don't know if it was on the shortlist. I'll have to check. But it, it opened in L.A. on December 3rd for a limited Oscar run. And it opened in New York last month on November 24th. But it'll probably be reaching more more theaters, we're assuming January or February. So that, that's Drive My Car. This is, spoiler alert, this is my number two film. No, not my number one film of the year. I was going to say The Power of the Dog was my number one film. Drive My Car supplanted it. Very simple story. Yusuke Katuko is a Japanese, he's a Japanese actor and stage director. He loves his car. I believe the car is a Saab. The movie is three freaking hours. A lot of the movie has him in his car. He's driving a lot. A big portion of the movie centers on his relationship with his wife. And they have a very sexually charged relationship. It's it's also very creatively charged. I'm not going to get into the specifics why there's why sex and creativity is a big part of their connection. You're going to let that mystery unfold yourself. And also, I guess halfway through the narrative, he actually befriends and gets to know this woman named Misaki Watari. And Misaki Watari is played by Toko Miura. And Misaki, she's his driver. She becomes his driver towards the second half. Of the narrative, the, the movie, the story takes place in two time frames. It's three hours long. Three hours is a big barrier to entry for most people, including myself. But it probably, ultimately, it might not be for many cinephiles who want to just see what is all this hype behind Drive My Car. Why is it winning all the awards? It's getting a ton of acclaim, and who knows? It'll be one of the top films as far as come Oscar time. Let's start with you, Eric Holmes. What did you think of Drive My Car? Was three hours too long, did, or did you get immersed in the story of the stage director and actor named Yusuke Katuko? It did feel Kafuko. it did feel really long to me, but I think that's kind of the tone it was going for. This is this is one of those movies you're either in for it or you're not. Um, I it a lot of it reminded me of like the was it Schenectady, New York, or Cynic Dosh, New York. Okay, it's spelled cynic doge, but I guess it's cynicity or cynicity. Yeah, I think you're right. Hoffman. Yeah. Um, but it it reminded me of that where it was uh most of the movie is this guy basically directing a play or putting together a play based on his life, sort of on his life and sort of on uh sort of on stories that his oh do we say that. Well, the play is based on Uncle Vanya by, by Chekhov, so it's yeah. a very renowned play, it, and it's told in different – the way the stage director frames it, and this is not giving away too much, but he doesn't have everyone speak Japanese. There's It's an international cast yeah. in the production of Uncle Vanya, and he's the stage director. Go ahead, Eric. Okay. I kind of I kind of read it as kind of based on – like uh, based on his life a little bit. At least that's what it felt like to me. Oh, you mean the play? The play? Yeah. 
Okay. Well, I mean, um, you're you're sort of that. That's right. That's right in the ballpark. It it does tail figure into that, and we'll get to that in a second. But yeah. but uh, the uh, I don't know what I can talk about <laughs> this movie. Well, look, who, how, who why don't you why don't you what happened? Why don't you talk about it, and then if it, if it's too much of a spoiler, we'll cut it or we'll just paste okay. it back on the end. By the way, listeners, for this episode, we're going to do a quick spoiler spoiler recap regarding. Drive my car. We're going to talk about the last scene of the movie, and this is for obviously people, some of the select people who've been able to see this 179 minute film. Eric, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, the uh, uh, this guy and this girl, I believe they're married. Um, the very least yeah. dating, and uh, whenever they have sex, it inspires the lady friend to get creative and start telling stories and start acting out the stories, which is kind of. Weird, but you know, I'd be down with it. <laughs> I didn't know that was one of my fetishes, but here we are. Um, <laughs> uh, Bruce, I, I think that's 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 not a uh, spoiler at all because that's a premise of the movie. Bruce, you agree, or do you think that's a little bit of a spoiler? No, that that's not that's not the spoiler I was talking about. Oh, um, that something yeah. happens to her, and okay. then well, yeah, we'll just say it. there's some things going on that uh, kind of throws a rift in their uh, relationship, but it's only on his end. She doesn't know. And then, uh, you know, it kind of uh, mostly focuses on him through a good portion of the movie. Weird thing about this, though, is like they don't even play the opening titles until like 40, 45 minutes into the movie, which is might be the longest cold open of any movie I've ever seen. Probably Um, right. Yeah. That there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of character internal stuff going on in this stuff that you might find in a book. You don't often see this sort of thing in movies because it's hard to it's hard to bring that across in a movie. Uh, I think this did it pretty well. But again, if you're not if you're not on board with this movie, I don't think you're going to get that out of it. Overall, this is a pretty interesting movie. And again, it's really long, but kind of mm, it it almost feels like it needed to be that long. Even though there were parts of it where I'm like, okay, come on, I get it, let's get to the point. But uh, you almost need that that time to uh, kind of sit and reflect on certain areas. Yeah, that's. Would you recommend? Would you recommend this as a mild recommend? How many? What kind of stars um, would you? That's that's real tough. Uh, I think it's a good movie. I don't know that I'd recommend it because I don't. So for you, there's, no, that, just, there's like there's like certain people I would recommend this to, right? And then certain people I'm like, no, this is not your movie, right? No. Exactly. So, so I mean, what's what's your personal rate, rating? Uh, I'd five? probably give this maybe about three star. A three star film, mild recommend. Yeah. Bruce, three star film from Eric Holmes. Felt he felt the three hours. He felt the length. Did you feel the three hour length? And was it one of this a big barrier for you as well? I, I felt the three hours, but I feel like the three hours was earned. I think that, and I, I think Eric sounds like he does too, to some degree, even if it maybe didn't hit him, yeah. but it sounds like he thought it was actually earned in the story too. Like we said, um, what, 40, 45 minute cold open. I mean, that's like the prologue almost. And the reason that, you know, those credits fall in at the 40 minute mark is basically to say, okay, now we're ready to start the story. And you're like, what? Okay, <laughs> I guess we're starting the story now. I I was concerned for a while, like how this, how this is going to go. But once I fell into the rhythm of it, um, it really worked for me. I think that if this is for people who like, like, I think Eric had a really good idea there too. People who like uh, the experience of a novel, the experience of a really in-depth play or a character piece where you really get to sit with the characters so that by the time you get to the third act and honestly the third act of this movie is like several things happening in this final hour i think the final hour 
will really work for people if they've invested that time and it's kind of their vibe. Because to me, I mean, I think there's at least at least three, if not more, super cathartic scenes in the final hour that I think pay off. And you know how you have some movies where you say, you know, oh, it has too many endings. I don't think this does. I think it lets our characters have various levels of closure on some of the threads that we've opened up as the movie goes on. So that by the time you get to the end, I think it's a very satisfying ending. So I, I appreciated that. That I, I appreciated the length, I would say, by the time I got to the end of it a lot. Okay, cool. Yeah, this is... Yeah, this is definitely a five-star film for me. And I guess without giving away too much, you know, they're putting on a production of Uncle Vanya. Uncle Vanya, the play by Chekhov, it has been a passion for Yusuki for most of his life. He has a connection with that play to his wife as well. And the, the idea behind Uncle Vanya, this is not a spoiler, about how no, no matter what we go through in our lives with our tragedies and our jealousies, infidelities, sex and love, everything that makes up our days good and bad, what we're going to have to do is if we want to live in this world, we're just going to have to move forward, good or bad. And a lot of, that's what drive my, drive my car is he's a man who's, whatever's happening, he has to go on to his car and he has to drive to the next destination and keep on moving forward. There's no, if he stops that sob and decides to just get, pull off the road and give up on his life, that's the end of his story, right? The whole idea about driving, drive my car is how we continue to move forward with, with our lives with the aid, possibly with the aid of art, being a perpetual force in how we like to define our existence. A lot of the people in Drive My Car, they speak different lang- languages. They can't, a person is, a, is a, communicates via sign language, another person via, is Korean, and there's some, some people who are multilingual, but... Even with these language barriers, the way they communicate with each other is through the play and the words of Chekhov and Uncle Vanya and the themes. So a lot of what this movie has to say is about about how we move on with our various tragedies in life and how art is a driving force within our, is pretty much a life force. I found this to be absolutely cathartic, absolutely moving, really deep. And it's a, it's a film that upon watching it several, you know, maybe another time, three hours went by like a drop of water for me. It was, I think this is a masterwork from the filmmaker. And yeah, five stars for me, three stars for Eric. Bruce, what's yours? I want to add a little thing to that. It is five stars for me as well. Uh, This is a five-star movie. I would add slightly to the idea you're talking about moving forward and, and getting along. I think the communication piece in here is key. And I think a big part, to me, what works in this story is that you can't move on be- until you really learn to listen and communicate. Because there's a ton in this movie about communicating and communicating in ways that aren't necessarily the standard way that you would communicate. So multiple times in this story, you have characters that have to rediscover an experience they had or re-understand an experience they have by actually listening to another person's point of view or another perspective or another version of a story they thought they knew. So I think that's a big piece of this movie is how we have to all of a sudden have to, you have to reframe your expectation on the way you experience the world to really, to really like let yourself go and be able to, to take another step. I don't know if that makes sense exactly. It makes, see the movie. A lo- makes a lot of sense. And not on a very superficial level, when you're learning someone else's language, that might seem, uh, seem like a very arbitrary, oh, cool. You, you like language, you like the culture, but there's, it's all, like you said, it's all about listening. And taking something else in, no matter what, you know. So there's different levels of communication. I loved how eventually, I mean, people in this movie strive to, no matter what the language barrier is, they strive to communicate with each other and build 
that connection and it doesn't that connection doesn't happen overnight bruce that with that and also it's like with we we tend to think we know how things are going to be and how things should be and this movie's all about like taking a step outside of yourself in that way and actually listening and watching another person's point of view and 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 not just listening to it but understanding it a perfect example this is an example that won't spoil anything there's a moment where he tells his new driver new ish driver at this point he says just take me somewhere, somewhere you like. So you think that he's he's gonna take she's gonna take him to like I don't know an overlook, a beautiful mountain, a park. She takes him to this giant like incinerator of trash in the middle of city. And that lot, that moment, that 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 scene. It's not a moment. It probably is a fifteen to twenty minute scene. That scene travels a line that is very unexpected and goes to a connection to them that they haven't had before that. But that's a perfect example of where your expectation is overturned and you have to listen to somebody else and actually understand what they're trying to get to you. I think it's pretty profound. It is pretty profound. This is to Eric's point though about this and you echo this as well, Bruce, the novel aspect of drive my car. There will be a barrier of entry. If you, as a viewer, don't, it's pretty dense. The, the thing is, the story is pretty dense and there are long pauses and there are times when it may feel like a slog for you. But to that point, there are moments of huge exposition dumps in this movie. The reason why these exposition dumps to me work like a hard-hitting action sequence is because you end up really caring about these characters. So when they start on their monologues and unfolding their various stories you are so invested in that moment and learning about these people and i think that's what the whole point of drive my car is just try to learn about other people and usually in lesser narratives when these exposition dumps happen you don't care you go just put me on to the next scene show don't tell no this this is a version of where the exposition is framed by ryusuke hamaguchi they're framed as action sequences. They're really beautiful spectacles, beautiful spectacles. So yeah, masterwork. Glad, Bruce, that you liked it. Five stars for you. Oh, you know, I was surprised. This, you're, By the way, Bruce Perky is doing a top 31 on, on our Cinematics Facebook group page, and he hasn't mentioned Drive yet. So I don't know. Hopefully that Drive will come up pretty soon on your on your top 10 list, right? What number are you on right now? Uh, I'm on 11, and 10 will be tomorrow. So the top 10 starts tomorrow. Okay, very, very good. And I, I I believe Bruce's number 10, as is Eric's number 10, will be Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn <laughs> movie that is worth watching that Maybe. I think. I was kind of mixed on Bad Luck or Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, but Eric Holmes and Bruce, uh, they, they convinced me. It's, it's one of the best films of the year. Okay, Eric. Okay, Bruce. You hey, guys. I got a yes, quick sir. question about this because uh, I'm not familiar with the really anything of Chekhov except his gun. <laughs> Um, Neither of I. No, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Okay, I, 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 I didn't know if you guys were familiar with that or if that would have helped or had any value added. Um, maybe they get more deep insight into what the movie's going for. I think so. I think knowing Chekhov, Bruce, you agree? Knowing Chekhov would have really brought a lot of value to it, maybe? I don't know the play. I think, I, I'm guessing that it probably gives you a lot of um, kind of built in context, but. Um, I don't think you need to know it to actually enjoy this. If you're into the vibe of it, it doesn't isn't not required, right? Because there, there, those mono, there's the scenes in Vanya continue to play like waves throughout this narrative. So by the time those final waves come in, they really come crashing down, in a, hopefully in a good way. We're not gonna, we're not going to spoil that, but but no, actually this this movie actually made me want to learn about Uncle Vanya and Chekhov and Chekhov's gun, like you said, that device, that narrative plot device. But yeah, so. 
But I think, obviously, the more you know, the better for Drive My Car, especially with all the histories. But we're going to talk about the final scene of Drive My Car towards the end after our show is done. A little bit of a spoiler on that film. Drive My Car, I don't know. Maybe you can find it. It's playing in L.A. and select theaters and probably some of the major markets. But if Drive My Car gets to you, huge recommendation by me and Bruce, five stars each. Eric Holmes, three stars, mild recommend for you. Now, let us go for a movie that is not a mild recommend. Don't look up. Netflix on Friday. Eric Holmes saw it, paid honest money, honest, hard-earned money to watch. Don't look up. Movie about a comet. Gonna crash to Earth. It's gonna crash into Earth in about six to seven months. It's discovered by a bunch of what are they? What are they called? Two astronomers. One of them is the big, the big boss, played by Leo DiCaprio. The other person is played by Jennifer Lawrence. Leo DiCaprio is a very nerdy, very scholarly science and math guy, and Jennifer Lawrence is more of a punk rock, but very, very smart, just very smart punk rockish kind of assistant girl. She, he, DiCaprio's character serves as her mentor. They, they see she discovers the comet, and they are they're trying to warn everybody, the mass media, the, most importantly the government, the people at large, that there's a comet. It's going to hit six, seven months. Everyone's going to die. That is a premise of Don't Look Up. And Eric, can you, before me and Bruce review, I mean, launch into this, uh, can you talk about what, again, don't look up, it's a five-star banger, what makes it five stars for you? Um, everyone's going to die, and no one cares. And these are, it, I just saw this as a uh, looking into the mirror of society, and it's, uh, you know, it's not subtle at all. It's, it's hey, uh, humanity as a whole is fucking up. And here's how we're fucking up. I think a lot of people can see themselves in it and uh, maybe point out, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's where they're fucking up. And that's where they're fucking up. And I, what I appreciate about this movie is it, it didn't it didn't hold back on anybody. It seemed it, it kind of uh, it kind of uh, blamed everybody, which seems like a cop out. And maybe it is. But I, you know, we're all fuck ups. We all have shit that we need to get together, you know, uh, fix, you know, and it was also funny, mostly dark humor. Cause, uh, someone would do something completely stupid. And I'm just like, oh, of course you would do that. And, uh, yeah, I never mentioned this last time, but, uh, uh, Meryl Streep as a president, is she, president. is she really that self-aware or does she have no idea <laughs> the character that she's playing? <laughs> she, Mel- Meryl Streep is smarter than some, some entire continents. So she's, she's, I'm assuming she knows what's going. She's, she's amazing. Yeah, in this I'm not quite sure. Cause oh, really? it seemed like her character was making fun of her, like the actual Meryl Streep itself at times. But mm, interesting. Interesting. So Meryl Streep is the president her son is played by Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill also, as the son, is actually the chief of staff. I think that's supposed to be a joke about nepotism as far as Adam McKay. Adam McKay, by the way, directs this movie, Adam McKay of Anchorman, and he also writes a screenplay. Adam McKay also directed the amazing film that I thought was very, very funny, also a satire, called The Big Short. All-star cast, Ariana Grande, Kid Cudi, Timothy Chalamet. Kate Blanchett, she plays a sort of a Fox News type reporter. She was very, very funny in this. Also, Tyler Perry, who plays her co-anchor. He's another reporter. Just a, a lot of stars. It's it's a very long movie. It feels, it feels like a two-and-a-half-hour film. Two-and-a-half-hour movie. I'm going to look at the running time right now. Satire, all-star cast, Comet, has a big event film in a way. Bruce, does this movie hit the mark for you like it did Eric? Um, it was, no, it doesn't, unfortunately. Uh, I will say, well, here, I'll say what I liked about it. Um, I surprisingly really liked Timothy Chalamet when he came in as this kind of street doofus, 
um, guy that kind of tags along. And I wasn't expecting that guy to, to pop in. I wasn't expecting that to be Timothy Chalamet. So I was I was happy to see that he can do other things. Um, so that was cool. How about uh, wait? How about a, a brief shout out to Melanie Linsky, National Treasure Melanie Linsky, yes. playing the wife of Leo DiCaprio. Yep. She is great in whatever she's the in. The only as well. person in the movie that wasn't a piece of shit. Yeah, her her and um, <laughs> what's point. his name? The the other um, the NASA guy. I forget his name. He was he was good too. Oh, Rob um, Morgan. No, no, yes, not, Rob um, Morgan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I really liked. There's a little bit in here where the general keeps trying to sell them chips, even though they don't have to be sold chips in the White House. I like that little bit a lot. That was one of the jokes that worked. Maybe the, the joke that worked for me. Um, uh, and I really liked the the Steve Jobs-ish character because he was so odd and strange. And um, I really Played by liked, Mark Rylance. Yeah, by Mark Rylance. I, I like the take of that. I, I might have been overplayed a little bit for me, but I like that as well. Oh, and the final... I'm not going to say what happens in the final... By the way, before you go, do you think the snacks joke was funny the first time and the second time, but the third and fourth time, maybe not? Yeah, it, it wore thin on me after a while. His character then was... the seventh and the eighth time got funny again. <laughs> <laughs> Did that but, funny, um... not funny, and now it's funny again. This um and I and I really liked uh there's some bunch of characters I'm not going to say what happens there's a bunch of characters that come together in a certain way towards the end I really enjoyed that scene I kind of wish there would have been a little more of that in this movie the biggest problem I had with the movie is is it was too safe in my opinion this movie was just it was all the jokes all the characters not all the jokes but most of the jokes most of the characters most of the takes were all super obvious to me they were like this is all stuff we know. This is, it's not telling me in a, in a new way or telling me in a different way. I wanted it to be either 10 times more absurd or 10 times more dark or something. It was just, to me, I was just like, yeah, okay, it's a mirror, but I've looked in the mirror a lot of times. So it's not really, it's, it's not telling me anything I haven't already seen before. Maybe someone it will tell them a lot. Um, as I watched it, I kept thinking, I mean, the obvious things to compare it to would be like, Doctor Strangelove or Network. And are there, the t- are there lines like there's no fighting in the war room in this movie, yeah. Bruce? Are there lines um, like or any any memorable lines like that that didn't- not really for me. I mean and, and the tone it's all about tone, right? So it, it works like it really works for Eric. It really didn't work for me. And the tone was just a, a, a tick or two off for some reason. Another example is Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks is this movie. But in a ten times more entertaining way, I felt that I felt the time in this so much compared to our three-hour movie we just talked about. Because this movie was, it had an idea, it stated the idea, it presented the idea, and within thirty minutes, I'm like, okay, I get it. Now what? And now what was pretty much nothing. And to me, some of the stuff was really almost painfully bad, like the whole thing with the astronaut that was going to go up. Played by oh, uh, Ron on. Perlman. <laughs> Ron that Perlman. part was awesome. <laughs> that part just was painful to me. This stuff was just pain. It was painful. This was, it was like bad Saturday Night Live skits to me, and a lot of it. I, I hated Jonah Hill. I really it didn't. It did not. But it's comedy, My right? Goodness. Comedy is Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. How about her as the self-serving anchor? Yeah, no, it was, it yeah. was fine. I mean, it was all bland. It was this, that's the thing. This was too safe. This should have been way harder core or way more subtle but it was right in the middle of the road as far as i was concerned this is and part of it was so so many stars i think that doesn't help either it's all these stars just makes it kind of like this vanity project kind of and i all the other thing i kept thinking about and i'll stop talking (laughs) going the other thing i kept 
thinking about was as I was watching this to make a 70 something million dollar movie with all of these stars undercuts absolutely the point they're trying to make. Because it's like you are ironically making, not knowing that you're making a absolute statement about what you are presenting on the screen, which is this giant, overexpensive, overindulgent, star-ridden vehicle that's trying to criticize exactly what it's talking about. So it was like its own, it was its own self, uh, it was, it was, uh, yeah, no. So you're saying basically spending money by hubris with your own hubris money is hubris. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I need to push back on a couple things. One, <laughs> yes, okay. The fact that it completely beats you over the head and it's 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 does the mirror and I know that you get it. The thing is, like this is the stuff that like you know, it's a it's a, a comedy version, but this is the stuff that goes around us all the time and no one does anything about it. No one everyone seems blind to the obvious stuff. And then when the right. movie heightens it a little bit, it's like, well, this is completely obvious. Well, motherfucker, you don't seem to pay attention when it's actually happening. Not, I'm not talking to you, motherfucker. No, I understand. <laughs> but, but it's like, if, if, if humanity would be able to see this on their own, but I don't think they can, they need I, a, like, it, I it's see almost point. like the movie needs to be this obvious because you know, you look at the world around you, it's completely obvious, but no one sees it. And yeah, so but I honestly don't so know. It's I don't... almost like you have to beat them over the head and then keep beating them over the head. And it's like, you see it yet? You see it yet? Oh, it's too obvious. And it's like, well, you didn't get it the first 30,000 times we ran this by you. But remember, it's a solid the, rebuttal. There's yeah. a scene where, um, where Leonardo DiCaprio's character is getting into it and he's at, in the chat rooms, right? And he's trying to get the, the best burn and all that stuff, right? And because he's gone to that point with the trolls, right? And I'm thinking to myself, like, but this movie is going to play to the to whatever side is being criticized, which you're criticizing both yeah. sides. I get that. It's going to play the same way. They're going to be like, well, you're just yelling at me and I'm not going to listen to you. I mean, I don't know how you actually make this movie work now. I don't know how you make it work. I mean, literally, oh, no. you would have to put Eric, people in five, room. That's a five-star film. I, you would have I, to put people into the theater. You would have to lock the theater. You'd have to have people <laughs> walk into the theater with guns and put guns to every member of the audience's head and say, do you get it? And start killing people. No, <laughs> wow. You have a point. I, I, it, this is still five stars for me, but you absolutely have a point. As obvious as this movie is, you're right. People are going to latch on to them that's, and then just completely ignore ignore the mirror part that, that reflects themselves. Yeah, you know? and they'll all be able to make that stupid stupid argument of like, well, every side is, is shitty, so nothing matters. You know, it's like either nothing matters or everything equally matters. Yeah. That's the same statement, right? If you say everything is equally bad, it's the same as saying nothing is bad. You okay, have to br- you have to make an opinion at some point. Bruce put down the baseball back bat, okay? Five but stars I gave this two and a half stars. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, two and a half. Two and a half stars. Okay. So Because it's okay. Gave- <laughs> After all of that. You basically went Robert De Niro Al Capone on the dinner guest on the Untouchables and you ended up giving this movie. <laughs> Fuck this movie in its ass. Three and a half stars. That is so amazing. You really went in on this movie. I give this... I I was actually a little bit kinder to this film. Let me tell you something, okay? Yeah. Don't look up. It is... Yes. Bruce, you're going to say something. Okay. A last thing. The reason I... It's a bland... It it. has to be the last thing. We can keep talking about this. I'm good with it. Okay. Um... The reason I give it two and a half stars is it's a bland movie, but this movie is important. Like what this movie is trying to say is important. It can't be bland. It needs to be 
as fucking in your face as Titan is, but even more so, right? I mean, Fair. it has to take a, it has to take a stance, and it has to take the stance, and it has to drive it so far into the ground that you either hate it or you love it. But you can't you can't be like me where I'm going to give it two and a half stars. Two and a half stars is the most damning grade I can give it. See, I, 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 I disagree with that though because I I think it does, you know. I, I think it will piss people off, and I think other people they'll they'll see something in it. it it's it. Uh, <laughs> no, you're right. It <laughs> okay. will some. I'm just, but, it, but that's I, me. I mean, the, I saw this. The thesis of this movie is humanity. Humanity is fucked. We're yeah. all fucked. Oh yeah, and we're and we're all fucked. Not because of you. Not because of you. Not because of me. But because all of us got us to this position we're at. And unless we start wising up and figuring out, hey, there's a problem. Let's figure out where our individual problems lie and start fixing things. We're going to be destroyed by a comet. And if we can't figure it out, if we can't figure that out, maybe we deserve to get hit by that comet. Right. But how does this movie get people off that pot? Right. Yeah. I mean, right. that's what I said. You've got to lock them in a room and start filling with water. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. what you got to do. I mean, that, that's where I absolutely do agree with you. It, it it really hurts me to see that. <laughs> no, but you know what? But, no, I, yeah. but again, but, but again, that goes to the whole point of what this movie is, and yeah. and that that's the that's you know kind of the the depressing thing about the movie is like wow we all really suck, and that comment's going to hit all of us, and well fuck it, I guess it we almost, get what we deserve. It almost should have stopped halfway through and just had the 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 film run out of the projector, and you should have heard a voice in the background saying fuck it, there's no point, and just. And that would have been awesome. Oh my god, that would have been awesome. <laughs> I mean, yeah. in a way, they kind of did a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. So I'm sorry, Greg. I'll stop now. <laughs> no worries. Don't look up two and a half stars for Bruce. There's parts I don't look up that I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the performances by Rob Morgan and Melanie Linsky. They basically they should have been in the movie a little bit more, but I don't know. This is a movie that's two hours and twenty five minutes. How do you give away give them screen time and leave screen time away from? Leonardo DiCaprio or Jennifer Lawrence, the stars of the movie. There are some. Jennifer mo- Lawrence could have been away. <laughs> Jennifer, no, I, I actually like Jennifer Lawrence's character at at points, but the characters to me, and this goes to Eric and Bruce, are both saying this is not a very subtle film. Eric was saying that's the method to the madness of Adam McKay. That's that's one side of the coin, and that's valid. But I wanted to be entertained by this movie. I wanted to laugh. That snack joke, I li- I laughed the first time, and then the second, third, fourth time, I did not laugh because they went to the well too much. The main characters are ciphers. They are things are happening. The main star of this movie is the comet, okay, which is fine. But when you don't build, when you build characters who are just so arch and so paper thin, at least make them really funny and jokes <laughs> and the funny stuff. I laughed maybe a couple of times. It didn't. It didn't hit me. Two hours and twenty five minutes. This felt like a five hour film to me. So to be honest, I'm giving this movie two stars. This oh. movie was just really <laughs> don't look up. Has been retitled for me. I'm just gonna listeners. A big part of what we're gonna do for Find Your Film. Thank you Netflix for providing us with the screeners. We love a lot of your movies on a per week basis. Thank you for the team over Netflix. But for me, the good thing is Eric Holmes. So glad that he loves this this movie. He gives it five stars. Bruce gives it two and a half stars. I'm giving it a generous two stars. I'm gonna retitle this movie. Don't look as in listeners. Don't look at this movie. Maybe, maybe it's, <laughs> it's look. I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna tell you one thing about life. Okay, homelessness is bad. Climate change sucks. People getting killed sucks. Tragedy. People die. That's hurtful and it's wrong. But there's a way to say it within a satire form. You know, the media and corporations are corrupt. We have network. Atomic bomb's not good. Even with Slim Pickens on it. 
That's why we have Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Now, if we're going to compare Adam McKay to Stanley Kubrick or Matt Chayefsky or Sidney Lumet, I think that's a fair comparison. If you're going to give this movie 70 to $100 million movie and you're going to take a big friggin' swing on society and you want to make a point about it in satire version, yeah, I'll put your feet to the you're, you're talking about uh, putting uh, people's feet to the fire. I'm going to put you, Adam McKay, to the fire. If you're going to take a big swing, make sure you hit this one out of the park. Or in my case, at least a double. This was a dri- this was a ground single that almost uh, ground single towards the right ha- right side of the baseline. It just did not completely. <laughs> I mean, it dribbled away. Might have been a foul ball. I don't even know. Why I give this movie two stars. Oh yeah, the reason why is I loved watching the actors in the movie. I liked them. I liked watching Ariana Grande sing and Kid Cudi. I loved them together. Oh wait, they sang the whole song. That's like that just cut four minutes out of my life for them to sing the song. I could have watched the music video instead. But I loved watching Kate Blanchett as the the sexy, intelligent co-anchor who's just a little bit of a sociopath, but she wasn't given enough really interesting lines or, or a nice arc. This movie should have been workshop. Uh, Eric Eric on a weekly basis. I mean, he likes to go to writers' workshops. I think Adam McKay should. You know, he knows a lot of people. He could have called up on his. I, I don't know if they have roller desk anymore. Give Eric, a hug he right should now. have, he should have called a bunch of people. Maybe, uh, maybe done some kind of uh, seance for P- Patty Chayefsky in the spirit and actually figure out how to actually pen a really decent screenplay because this would have made Don't Look Up a much better film overall. To me, I'm not even going to get it. I'm, I'm not even going to recommend this movie. This is a this is a two star film. But in all fairness, I would. I would err on the side of Bruce Perky's, hey, it's two and a half stars, it's bland, at least it's watchable, and then maybe upscale it to Eric, who who calls this, it's pretty much a, a five-star banger for Eric. So put those also into your hat. Maybe Don't Look Up will work for you. And I'm going to defend Eric one more time. On Rotten, Tom- Rotten Tomatoes, the critics, which I am one, gave it 55%. The... Audience members, cinephiles are, are rating this seventy-seven percent. So, Eric Holmes, you have the final say on this film. Who there, it has a seventy-seven percent rating. So, you're saying probably you might have a good point. Like this, populace-wise, this might have a really it might resonate a lot more. Yeah, I don't think uh, critics like *Idiocracy* when that came out. So, what's the next movie we're talking about? Very good. Okay, fair *Idiocracy*. Yes, I, I, I gave. Well, we'll, we'll come back to this in fifteen years, and we'll see who's right. <laughs> <laughs> no one's in movie in movie reviews. No, no one's right. I, I, to, to your to your guys' point, I see I see where you're coming from. Um, I just I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I, I mean, don't. it's comedy. It goes, comedy. You is need taste. you guys need to watch the movie with me. You need to that's you need true. To get together and to. watch Let's it together it. so I can hold you and go, Bruce. You see that? I told you, Ron Perlman's hilarious in this. <laughs> you might be right. Give me a couple beers. Let's go hang out. We'll do it. <laughs> I would rather see a two-hour, 25-minute movie called Don't Look Up, and the only thing is it's Melanie Linsky and Rob Morgan at her dinner table just talking or reading names off the phone book. I don't even know if they have phone books anymore. They are arresting actors, and I love watching them in anything, and that's probably why this movie gets at least two stars. I love both of them. They did kind of have that scene. They kind of did have that scene, right? A little bit. Yeah, and uh, I think it goes to Bruce's point. That that, 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 was Without getting into that, that was, oh, that was probably the only nice scene in the whole movie. <laughs> like, oh, that's 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 you know, nice. It, it's like yeah, this. because, like the the whole movie, they're just shitting on humanity. But then there's this one little nugget where it's like, oh, you're having a nice little moment. We'll give you that before. <laughs> Bonfire of the Vanities, yeah. directed by Brian De Palma. 
stars Melanie Griffith, Tom Hanks, Bruce Willis, Morgan Freeman, just a, a Rita Wilson, just a whole bunch of really amazing actors. Loved watching them. It was directed by my favorite filmmaker. All throughout the movie, I'm thinking... De Palma got this whole movie wrong about this, you know, just the the, the privileged upper class and uh, how you know how justice is misapplied at times. Yeah, the, the Wolf's novel is completely uh, not in the same spirit. And even De Palma said he he whiffed on Bonfire of the Vanities. It was just watching really pretty, interesting, charming people act out a very charmless and uninteresting screenplay with Bonfire of the Vanities. I hate to say that as a De Palma fan. I felt that same way regarding Don't Look Up. Again, five stars from Eric Holmes. Banger. Hilarious. He said, so the, the, So listen to Eric. Bruce, uh, two and a half stars. He said it was not so much, not, not uh, but bland. Bland, you said. And me, uh, two stars. And I can't believe I actually went really mean on Don't Look Up. We love Netflix, by the way. You want to say something nice about Netflix, Bruce? Smile. Thank you, Netflix. I, I, I like the sound it makes when it comes up and goes bring or whatever that's. Like, Eric, oh, you want yeah. to say something nice about uh, this movie one more time so we can just. Ha- I love you guys so much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna cut that that uh, for Eric to say I love Netflix yeah, so yeah. much. We love Netflix so much. So, anyways, we'd love to hear what you guys think about this movie. Are you on the side of Eric? Bruce or me, we'd love to hear what you think of Don't Look Up. Again, Friday, December 24th, streaming on Netflix. Also streaming on Netflix is probably, unless if Drive My Car wasn't released, would have been my favorite film of the year. Maybe my favorite film of all freaking time. The Power of the Dog. Why are you giving me that look, Bruce Perky? I know you. This is a Your favorite film of all time and you've already dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> it took you like a month. It, it took me like a month. Look, let's. You know what? The power of the dog. We don't need to get into the, the plot line. It's you know set in what Montana or Wyoming and set in a Americana film, sort of a cowboy film in a way, and set in a, set in a ranch. The the brothers on the ranch are played by Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons. He ends up marrying a woman with a kid, and that is not. Looked frown- it's kind of frowned upon by Benedict Cumberbatch, who is sort of the alpha male out of the brothers, and he spends a big part of the narrative lording over his brother and also mentally terrifying his new sister-in-law, played by Kirsten Dunst. So that is a premise of The Power of the Dog. Oh, also Kirsten Dunst, her, her aforementioned son is played by Cody Smith McPhee, who is also good in a very a classic Western, I think, called Slow West. If I recall, Bruce loves that movie as well. Cody Smith McPhee plays... Kristen Dunn's son, and Cody is Peter Gordon. Peter Gordon eventually ends up having an interesting interesting um, friendship or relationship with Phil Burbank, the menacing ranch owner, co-ranch owner, played by Benedict Cumberbatch. The movie is receiving a ton of critical acclaim. A lot of people are saying it might win the Oscar. It's won a ton of awards. Benedict Cumberbatch might, might be in line for winning an Oscar as well, or at least being nominated for an Oscar as well, as well as Cody Smith-McPhee. Let us start off with Bruce Perky. You were the first one to have seen The Power of the Dog. Did this movie have power, or do you feel that power is completely overrated? Um, I think it's definitely overrated for me. It's I think it's a mild recommend. I give it three stars because there's a ton of talent. There's a ton of skill. It's, it's unambiguously a super well-made movie. Um, my big problem with it really is just, um, it's like the opposite to me, to me, it's the opposite of Drive My Car. This is a movie that present, pretends to be a really deep character study, but really it's kind of a pulpy, it's a pulpy, 
a campy movie in a lot of ways. Uh, but it presents it in this very fancy, like, look at me. We're very, we are, we are high level character building here. This is Oscar stuff. So I think it's really pretending to be something it's not. And it's trying to get credit for doing that. Um, but I think the characters are kind of paper thin. I think the story is kind of ludicrous. Now, if this were presented as a pulpy noir movie, uh, I could totally enjoy it because it would be like, this is what I am. We're going to do it. We're going to have a good time. Um, uh, so it's okay, but, uh, and the Greenwood, I did not like the Greenwood score at all. In this Johnny movie. Greenwood. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was really graded on my nerves. <clears throat> and I, and some of the things in here just didn't make any sense. Like Jesse Plemons character, like what was his, I have no idea what his motivation what was his is. deal. And, and he just like walks away for probably half of this movie comes back eventually sort of there's a lot of things if you dig if you dig even a tenth of an inch below the surface you really don't understand how these things happen or why they happen you can pretend to understand why they happen you can guess why they happen but the movie does not tell you why they happen so movies directed and written by jane campion it's based on the novel by thomas savage bruce that's a generous three stars for me. I'm, I'm thinking on the mild recommend because of its because of its film uh, filmmaking uh, prowess, right? As far as the production, yeah, the, and the filmmaking prowess, the acting is undeniably good. I think it's really the script. It's the script here. The directing is great. It's the script. The script is pretending to be something it's not. If it were just a if this was a, like a pulpy movie with the same plot but done in a more of a pulpy fashion, uh, this could be a four to five star movie. Yeah, this movie was a five star for me. The fact that it's I, it again it goes back to tone. Regarding Don't Look Up, regarding the power of the dog, the atmospheric long spaces, it, it might have been very oppressive or pretentious to Bruce for me. It swept me away. This is a very sociopathic type of film. I am a sociopath myself, and I love it. <laughs> I love everything that goes on in this movie. And within, I saw this movie a couple of weeks ago. I've, I've gone back to watch many scenes over and over again. This is a movie that is very hypnotic, mesmerizing for me. And there are certain scenes I, yeah, I can't, I don't want to give away the scenes I, I watch. It's very, very, very interesting performances. And to Bruce's point, there are, there, it's a little bit of a puzzle box of a movie. And if you don't go that beneath that one tenth of an inch, I'm not saying you can do that, Bruce, but there's going to be a lot of people who will be watching this narrative and saying, what's going on here? And, oh, you want me to put that together with this? Okay. F you. So there's going to be some people. There are people who are really not all about the power of the dog. Bruce gives it three stars. I give it five stars. My number two film of the year currently, Eric Holmes. You saw it recently. Where do you lie on this? Well, first of all, the power of the dog is strong here because they're trying to scratch through the door. But uh, you want to let the no, you want to let the dog in? Yeah, let me yeah? grab him real quick. I'm okay, just keep scratching. Okay, <laughs> dog during the review of Power of the Dog. That makes make sense. sure you don't give that dog rawhide. So. All right, doors All right. crack so they can come and go as they please. Got it. Good one, Bambino. Now, if you start barking, I'm gonna pull your teeth out. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. We're we're, we're, a, we're a we're an animal loving podcast, Peter. Okay, please, we, 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 that's a joke. That's a joke. Yes. Zing. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna pull their teeth out. They're too cute. Okay. Um, but oh Jesus, oh, that was me, and that that was a private <laughs> moment. Sorry, folks. <laughs> <laughs> The power of the dog, <laughs> right? Actually, I, I just realized Frank. In my case, the power of the chihuahua. Oh, oh, wow! Nice, very cute, oh, very cute. Oh. All right. So, uh, hopefully, any, any because here. you're a dog, you're a dog lover. Hopefully, this movie appealed to you. 
even though there's really no dog in the pile of the dog. Well, maybe it did and maybe it didn't, but you shat on the movie I like, so let me return the favor. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, 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 here it oh, comes. Oh, no, just, just, just kidding. I'm okay. I, I'm actually that petty, but not towards you guys because I love you too much. Um, no. Yeah, Power of the Dog, um, it, it felt like a, uh, oh, what's the movie with uh, De Niro and DiCaprio? Uh, boy's life or this boy's life? Yes. Is that yes? It, this it, boy's it, life. It, it felt kind of something like that, but like set in the you know set in the west, like cowboys, you know, a, a western version of that. Um, right. Underplayed. I, it's an underplayed narrative, right? Yeah. It's, it's just a slice of life character piece, um, and a lot of that lives and dies on how interesting or how how much you can get into the characters. Um, you know, when I when I saw it, it was kind of late at night, so I probably wasn't as uh, um, engaged as I probably should have been. I think if I saw this earlier, or you know, that, like if I wasn't trying to cram it in before the podcast, I think maybe I I would have uh, taken to this a lot more. Uh, that said, there's you know there's some great performances. Uh, Jesse Plemons' character, I'm kind of with with Bruce on there. I wasn't quite sure. Uh, what he was doing there. Although I think a lot of that has to do with the back and forth between him and uh, Doctor Strange. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I forget Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Um, hey, you know, you do superhero movies, that'll happen. Uh, that'll but, happen, yeah. Um, there were some there were some aspects of this movie that kind of uh, I didn't quite get. Which part didn't you get? Uh, I don't know. Okay, so there's a there's a reveal that uh, that Cody Smith McPhee finds a thing, and then that reveals something about Benedict Cumberbatch's character. Right, and right. then so um, I thought that was kind of neat. I don't, and I kind of get that part of the character. Like that, there was some really cool stuff in this. Um, but like trying to watch this as like a narrative piece, I think is tough because there's it, does, it doesn't feel like there's a real story, like a A to B story. It's just kind of like a slice of lives are. It's just here's some characters, and things happen to these characters within this amount of time, and then you're either in or you're not. Um, at the time, I wasn't that into it, but you know, I think that this is uh, kind of like. But like when I saw this boy's life, I could have watched that. At you know ten o'clock at night, wanting to go to sleep, and maybe I hate that movie. I didn't. I watched that you know probably in the daytime, and I was jazzed for it, waiting for it, and I I love that movie. Um, so this is kind of this is a this is a tough one to give a star rating for. Um, I I'd, I'd, I'd probably go with uh, Bruce and do the do the three stars as well. Fair. Um, because I think I think depending on how you go into this movie is probably going to paint how well you like it you know if, if you go into this movie under the best circumstances this is gonna be like oh yes i'm with everyone i love power of the dog if you go into this trying to cram it for a podcast you might go fuck this movie i hate it you know um but i, I think three stars is um uh, much like drive my car it's one of those movies you're gonna fall on one side or another so it, it's you know the the three star i think works best for this so what you're giving it a three stars eric what were for you with this movie with Bruce, it was the, the overall, just the craftsmanship of the movie. Is that what drew you? I, I like the, I like the acting and I like the character interactions. What didn't grab me is I didn't understand, um, why the characters, uh, hmm. I, I kind of wish there was a story to hang on the character interactions. If that makes sense. 
Yeah. Like yeah. I, like I felt like there wasn't, there wasn't anything pushing forward. It was just a bunch of things happening. Like here, here's the characters. And then here's a bunch of things happening to them for two and a half hours or however long it is. And then eventually it ends when it feels like it should end. I, I think well, if, I think if there was like a stronger story, to hang the hang the characters on, I think it probably would have worked better for me. Well, we're going to talk about that with after this show is over. We're going to okay. finish our recording this podcast, and we're going to do our one scene spoiler alert for Drive My Car. That's going to be after this podcast is finished, and then I'm going to give you Eric and uh, Bruce, you know, why I think. I, this is just a brilliant movie as far as characterizations. I'll give you a one-minute expl- explanation, explication towards the end regarding the power of the dog. Yes, sir. So that said, let me throw a caveat on my three stars. Three stars, yeah. maybe your explanation might bump it up to a three and a half, I don't, four. I don't think so. I'm just throwing out the caveat. Maybe you listen to the it. I think I got it, but I'll, we'll see. I, I'm curious okay, to hear what we'll you say, too. Yeah. Also, I think what you're getting at, too, Eric, it's kind of what I was getting at, too, is it's almost the it's almost the opposite of too much exposition. It's almost like there's no... It's like negative exposition, <laughs> like on the characters. Like, Bruce, no more ex- Bruce, no more exposition for you for the rest of the podcast, Bruce. <laughs> Wait, we can't. I can't. I can't because this is five stars for me, uh, streaming on Netflix. Bruce and Eric give The Power of the Dog three stars. Again, tell us what you think of The Power of the Dog. Really long movie. Three stars. At least both of you give it a mild recommend. But uh, yeah, I, this is one of my favorites of the year. We can't, have, we can't cut exposition out of Bruce's thing because it's a podcast. Because Bruce has a couple of really interesting recommendations that he's going to talk about. On this here show, what did you see? One of them is that we talked about Melanie Linsky being a national treasure. Can you talk about a na- another national treasure that you actually watched regarding? Uh, I'm, I'm excited to watch this movie as well. Well, if she was from America, Jesse Buckley would be a national treasure, but she's, I think she's from Ireland? <laughs> I think so. Credit, go, credit again goes to Eric Holmes for reviewing Beast several weeks ago, yes. which stars Jesse Buckley. And now, continue uh, the thread, Bruce. Wild Rose. And this is one of those things where um, oh, and I, I'll apologize if I'm crediting the wrong person. On our cinematics group, I believe it was Chad Wilfong threw out one of those uh, free movie pass things for the digital movie they have on Anywhere Movies or whatever. Movies Anywhere. Movies Anywhere, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, we just talked about Beast. And I know Jesse Buckley is in Wild Rose. And I've heard that's a good movie. I've never seen it. So I hopped on that. And I watched Wild Rose from 2019. By the, by, by the way, I was about, about to grab that code. You got me first. <laughs> <laughs> but you've seen it, job. right? No, I haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen it? Okay. No, but I'm shoot. excited to hear your review. Uh, this is available on Hulu as well. I didn't even look. <laughs> I just So it inspired me just by having it pop up there. It's so funny. It's been on Hulu this whole time and I didn't watch it. So you guys, you can go watch it on Hulu. Uh, directed by Tom Harper. Um, Jesse Buckley plays Rose Lynn. Now, this is not what I thought it was going to be to some degree. So I knew it was about her being a, like wanting to become a country singer, right? So I assumed she's playing American, you know, somewhere trying to make it. She's not. She. Uh, it starts out with her getting out of prison in Glasgow. She is from Glasgow, Scotland, and her character gets out of prison, and everyone's like, "Go get him," you know, because she's been dreaming to be a country star forever in fact she plays at the grand old opry of glasgow which apparently is a thing (laughs) Uh, but the thing is this is a story about her just being a general fuck up like she is a terrible mom she fails at everything she 
got in prison because she threw a bag of heroin over the prison walls to get it to somebody. So she's not very... (laughs) As you do. (laughs) So she's getting out. And of course, it starts out with her like, you're going to get your job, you know, get your, your brain right. And, you know, maybe you can someday go to Nashville. That's her dream, of course. But right now you just have to work and take care of your kids. She gets a job being a cleaning person at, um, you know, a richer uh, family's house. And it all just is, it's just a really amazing character drama about her and her dream to, to make it big. And in a really interesting way, though, it's not this plucky, you know, plucky person going against all the odds to make it. It's more of a character who is a fuck up. um, And is this really what she should be doing? Now, the other amazing part of this is, and I didn't know this going into it either, is that Jesse Buckley is doing all of it. She's singing all this stuff. Is she good? She's really good. And afterwards I went on YouTube and I found tons of footage of her from around this time was being made playing in Nashville and playing at all these places with these real old timer Nashville dudes, you know, singing these songs. And it's pretty fucking great. If you didn't like her before this, which I find hard to believe, but if you didn't really understand what level she can go to, this will just show you like, oh my gosh, she can do everything. And I'm really mad at her for being so good at all these things at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really, really good movie. It's, it's, this is one of those movies that you will watch and go like, I don't know why I didn't know about this movie. It's really good. Four stars. Um, I think I gave it four. I think I gave it four, four or four and a half. It's right in that range. It's really good. Really satisfying. Yeah. It's great. It's great. So wild rose. Do you guys, Eric, Bruce, do you know the story behind that song? I'm looking right now on IndieWire. There's a song, Bruce, that I don't know about called Glasgow. I guess that's a title song of the movie that Jesse Buckley sings. Do you know the history of Glasgow? This is pretty interesting. Mm-mm. Do you have any idea? No. Uh, it's in Russia? Uh, I think it's in Poland or Ireland. Is, where's Glasgow? I don't know. I don't know. Scotland. Yeah, Geography is not my strong suit. Hey, Eric. Nor is math I, or science. Look, look he, where, where is it, Bruce? Scotland. Scotland. Oh, hey, hey, Eric, you and I are a bunch of idiots. What do you think of that? Uh, that's not surprising. Not it's surprising. surprising that you're an idiot. I don't think no, you're an think, idiot for me. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty much. Very, very, thank you, thank you, Bruce. We're not going to cut that because now we're going to know. Now the listeners will know to only trust maybe, Bruce Perky. Maybe we'll don't know maybe we'll hang out in uh, Paris, Texas, in Europe, and talk about this. <laughs> very, very good. Love it. Vim Vendor's reference: Glasgow, Mary Steenburgen. Back in 2009, she had a surgery. As she leaves the surgery, as she's recovering for several months. She, she could not act. She could not remember her lines. As soon as she came out of the surgery, the one thing that she was in her brain was she was actually thinking and being obsessed with music and music notes. For months on end, she would only hear music and music notes, and it really impeded her work as an actress. So cut to years later, when the director was look, was looking together, he eventually found the song Glasgow, and that was written by Mary Steen, who was actually and that country song while she was in the midst of this obsession with music due to the repercussions of her surgery. Wow. Really? Yeah. That is the story behind Glasgow. Yep. So you never know what will happen, right? So that's what, What's your other recommend? My other recommend? Yes. Yeah. A, uh, a buddy of yours, you and Eric love his stuff. So, uh, Yeah. Eric O, uh, he did the Oscar-nominated short this year, Opera. Uh, which we talked about, I don't know. Oh, yeah, the six, six months the ago. Short. 
So good. Yeah. yeah. And I've been watching him because um, I follow him and he's been you know, going to all these festivals and stuff. And he has ties with Pixar and everything. And he has been um, promoting his newest short, which is called um, Namu. Um, and it just, I think it's on the shortlist for the Oscars this year. I think he just got shortlisted. And it dropped, if you want to watch it, it is available in a weirdest place. It's available on Oculus Quest, if you have an Oculus Quest VR device. I do um, not. Do you, Bruce? We do. My kid does. Oh, cool. So <laughs> I scrambled over there to get it. Um, I think that this guy is doing some really interesting and amazing animation work. And I, I know that he's tied in with that that industry on, on a, he's done, you know, help with the animation on Pixar work. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a feature pretty soon because he's he's doing some really intricate, interesting stuff. Now, this is, if you watch it on the Oculus Quest, which, or any VR device, this is the way to watch it because essentially it's similar in some aspects to the opening of Up where you're following a person's life from childhood to death. And it's all in this kind of this scene around this tree and the scene around the tree changes and things go into the tree and out of the tree as it happens. I'm not going to describe the whole thing, but what makes it incredibly interesting is he's created it in a three-dimensional environment so that you are essentially sitting in the middle of a Pixar scene when you have the Oculus quest on. So you are actually three-dimensionally in this space with this animated short. It's pretty fucking Hmm. great. Wow. So that's Namu available on the Oculus VR. Can I, can I I ask you a quick question? Cause I was just talking with my brother about this. We were talking about uh, VR. Um, I'm old and out of touch. And as I am, I assume any, there might be one or two people listening to us that also are out of touch. How does the VR work? Is that a game system you have to buy, or is that like a controller that you plug into a PlayStation or a Xbox, or so I think what have you? Both can be the case, but the Oculus Quest is um, so it's basically like a goggle you put over your head, right? It yeah. totally covers your eyes. Kind of looks like um, half a, a motorcycle helmet or something, right? But you can't see anything outside of it. It has speakers attached to it to give you the three dimensional sound. And then you have two controllers on your hands, almost similar to like when you had the old Wii controllers, kind of a version of that. Yeah. So, and when you're wearing it, you can see your hands virtually in the space. Like you can see them move and they might change to something else. You might be holding a lightsaber. You might be holding a gun if you're doing like a, you know, some other kind of game. But in this case, so what will happen is when you have this three-dimensional thing on your head, and that's its own game system. You can download the games. Okay, into so that that that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I, if I have nothing, I buy that Oculus system. That's everything I need. Like I can download games onto you it. You can download do need- games onto it. Um, it is also connected in, you know, to the uh, <laughs> either terrible or great, depending on how you look at it. After our recent discussion, uh, Facebook. So all the metaverse crap is going to pop into there too. But okay. weird things you can do, like. It's got actual games, but it's got other things in there where you can just go like, I'm going to ride a roller coaster. And if someone's made a VR of that roller coaster ride, you can ride that roller coaster. Or for example, I was in a shark cage being surrounded by sharks. (laughs) So it's pretty interesting. (laughs) It's pretty immersive. You think Oculus? It is when it's done right. It's really immersive. And this just goes to show that uh, with animation, especially I could see the next level of Pixar kind of stuff being something like this because 
as I'm watching it, I want to watch it again because you look in different areas, right? You can look all around you. So you can look to the right and watch this part of the thing changing and miss the part that's happening to the left of you. Or when a certain thing is happening, you can turn all the way around 360 degrees and see stuff. So it's it's pretty interesting. Okay, so that, very cool. That's from a short by Eric O. And it's available on the Oculus Quest Rift. And it, the, the short is called Namu. And O is the original the director behind the wonderful short opera, which both Bruce and Eric gave high praise to. So that is Bruce Perky's recommendations for this week. Eric has a couple of recommendations this week, starting off with a movie headlined by Neo and Trinity. I believe those are the names. The Matrix Resurrections. Uh, it's, uh, it's getting its share of mixed reviews. Eric, where do you land on this movie? I, I was reading a review saying this this is sort of like a, a parody of sequels. It was a waste. Some some people say this movie is a waste of time, a disappointing version, or maybe not. I, I, well, it definitely wasn't a waste of time. Um, it's probably, I, I would say it's probably the best Matrix sequel. Um, not that that's a high bar to clear. Um, but this, one of the cool things about the Matrix, the original, is that it had a really cool idea. You know, it comes out, it's like, what is the Matrix? The, that was advertising. What is the Matrix? Find out what the Matrix is on blah, 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 whatever year it came out, 99. And then it's like, okay, okay, I saw Johnny Mnemonic. I know what this is all about. And I watched the Matrix, and I'm like, oh, shit, what if we are living in the Matrix, man? So it's like, it was like all my uh, worst being high fears realized in a movie. And so that, <laughs> that movie was mind-blowing. So... When they did the Matrix 2 and Matrix 3, it was just kind of exploring that world more without exploring any ideas. The The, the thing that made the first Matrix uh, great was the really great idea that had, the great concept it had. And the, you know, the, the world is cool, but that's that's not what blew your mind. That's not what you're there for. And so I think the matrix two and three was a misstep because it was almost like they didn't know it, it's almost like the Wachowskis didn't know what was great about their first movie to begin with they they took the wrong lessons from it and with this one i think well lana Wachowski anyway uh lily i think is the other one um is not back for this um but lana Wachowski seems to have some ideas uh, they still lean heavy on the action, which I think this, I think this new one works better if uh, you just get rid of that. But you kind of can't because Matrix is already known as an action movie. You have to have the action scenes. I, I think this movie works best when I mean the movie starts off with uh, Neo, Keanu Reeves' character, and he's uh, he kind of sort of remembers aspects of the previous Matrix movies. But he thinks he's going insane, like he like he he has the he has his uh, uh, psych psychiatrist psychologist one of the two uh, feeding him blue pills and he's he's just totally bought into the idea that whoa I'm like freaking out I'm I'm crazy right <laughs> and uh, they just keep feeding him blue pills but he keeps uh, he keeps having flashes of what's going on and as you're watching this the the way they set up is. Um, at least when I'm watching, I'm like, holy shit, did those Matrix movies happen? Like, maybe that was, like, the the fact that I'm even questioning that is, is a pretty That's cool idea. And right. then there's there's other ideas of, like, uh, non-binary um, 
because uh, uh, Lana and Lily are trans, so there's a, a lot of that comes through. Um, it's almost, you know, it, it's pretty explicit a lot of the times. Um, and there, there's uh, some of that that kind of went over my head. Like, I saw what they were doing, but I didn't quite fully grasp it. Uh, probably because I'm not trans, so, you know, I, I, I think aspects of that might speak to other people better than it would to me. And that's fine. You know, it's, as we said with, uh, you know, other movies, sometimes things aren't for me and that's fine. Um, and that, that was a storyline that I didn't quite grasp onto, but you know, I, I appreciated them, uh, having that in there. Um, and actually a lot of that, uh, works really well with the whole idea of, uh, you know, just binary, binary code, stuff like that. Like uh, a lot of the ideas of uh, being trans just fits in perfect with the idea of computers, you know, cause you know, the, 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 what's the word? Um, the, the concept and the themes just kind of almost like the fact that they put them together. I was watching go, Oh, of course they did that. You know, it, it's so simple once you see someone do it. Um, I think this movie's biggest drawbacks is the action. And the action scenes are cool, but I would have liked to see them kind of lean more into the the concepts of what the what the Matrix Resurrections has. Um and <laughs> uh there's a uh there's a uh, after credit sequence. Um it's stupid, but it uh <laughs> It's stupid, but it sets up a hell of a sequel if they ever go with it. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't want to give it away. But, but the, uh, the after credit sequences, it, look, don't get it twisted. After credit sequence is fucking stupid. But if they did that sequel, five stars. I, that's, a, that's a six star <laughs> movie. Okay. Um, so the, but, but, uh, the Matrix, uh, 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 Resurrections as it is, uh, there's some stuff that really worked really well in this. And then there's other stuff that just kind of, you know, I'm neither here nor there about. This is like the, like we said, this is that perfect three-star movies. I, I But this isn't like a three-star movie. Like some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. This is like right down the middle. Like uh, it, uh, just, it, it does stuff really good and it just whiffs it on other parts. And um, it's like good, I, but not great basically. Yeah. <laughs> And, and yeah. I think it could have been great if they just it literally just cut out all the action stuff and focus in on the ideas that they were going for. This could have been something else. Also, like the the um, the rules of the Matrix are kind of like the um, like the powers that they have. And this was a problem with the first Matrix. Like I love the first Matrix, and that even had power. Like you know, Neo comes in with the powers. I'm like, I how does that work? Fuck it, yeah, I don't right. care. <laughs> The rules of the world. <laughs> yeah, the the rules on uh, the world on this don't quite make sense, but you know, I, I just kind of let that go because if the if the first one's the bar to clear, and that one didn't even you know the rules were confusing, then I'm just going to kind of let it go for the rest of it. Um, but yeah, the, I I would say it's worth checking out. Um, it could have been this could have been great uh, as it is. It's it's pretty decent, but. Um, Definitely better than the sequels. Doesn't quite reach the height of the uh, of the uh, original, but they tried for something. And I do appreciate that. Okay, so that the Matrix Res- Resurrections. It's currently streaming on HBO Max. Bruce, are you going to watch this or not? Um, I don't have HBO Max, so I have to go to the theater. I'm 
considering it, it sounds kind of interesting. It's one of those things where if I have a day and I'm just kind of, it strikes me, I'll probably go check it out. Otherwise, I might wait. Cool. Okay, Eric, you have one more recommendation. What is it? Pick one of the two. Oh, jeez. I, I, I don't remember what my two were. Jules uh, uh, Dassin or uh, Naked City oh, or Christmas Vacation? Let, let, let's save Naked City. Uh, okay. Going on pretty quick. And uh, the other movie I saw was a Christmas staple, National oh. Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Okay, cool. Uh, what makes wait, it a Christmas staple for in your house? Because it's funny. It's stupid huh? and it's funny. <laughs> I mean, there's the fact that uh, Clark Griswold's, uh, you know, Greasing up the bottom of his uh, sled and one, two, three, poof, you know, uh, Uncle Eddie's, you know, the shitter is full. Um, <laughs> the, this is, uh, you know, the plot's just thin enough to hang jokes on and, and I appreciate it. I, you, what, what can you say about Christmas well, Vacation? I'm going to tell you something about Christmas Vacation. Okay? All right. It's directed by Jeremy, Jeremiah S. Chechik. It was released in 1989. I remember, and Eric, you can chime in on this. I remember watching this, and the reason why I was watching this, I actually watched it because I was interviewing Chechik for another movie he did. I believe it was Benny and June. So I remember driving All up right. to his beautiful, beautiful home up in the Santa Monica Mountains, and I, I was just a college kid. I'm thinking, man... Uh, this guy, this guy has a life. One day, I got to be a director so I can live in a high in the Santa Monica Mountains in this beautiful home. And I never did. I became a podcaster, and I, <laughs> I live with my mom, so that never worked out. But anyways, back in ninety, back in ninety three, I interviewed him for Benny and June. He directed that movie, which I really enjoyed. Okay, and then a couple of years later, he did this remake of the movie Diabolique. Go see the original, not his version. But anyways. I was doing researching research on his stuff, so I caught up with Christmas Vacation when I was a college student. And the one thing that I said to myself when I watched it, I believe probably on VHS, I thought, here's a movie that I missed out on 1989, and I felt like it's a, back then in 93 that it was so underrated and so very, very funny. Kind of like Don't Look Up. Kind of like Don't Look Up. <laughs> I was, uh, I'm the host, sorry, sorry, something in my throat. Yeah, so... Did you feel this movie is underrated, or has it been a? Is it, is it has it always been a classic anyway? That, because- this is this is one of those. There's a lot of movies like this with our family where the dumb comedies, like the Billy Madisons, the Tommy Boys, like all all the movies that when they came out, the critics shit on them. Uh, Don't look up is another example um, where critics <laughs> just shit on them when they came out, Very but cool. we just we like we didn't. Um, we didn't listen to just critics because they're like the only thing that was on was uh, Siskel and Ebert, and we didn't know when it was playing, so we didn't we didn't watch a lot of that. Uh, we just watched a movie and we thought it was funny, and then we'd uh, rent it on VHS or buy it on DVD later, and then just watch the same parts over and over again, almost to the part where we had the movie memorized, and we'd say a funny part, uh, cousin Eddie do something. <laughs> rewind that rewind it and like it, it's one of those like the movie is an hour and a half but it takes us six hours to watch it because we're constantly so- rewinding this is one of those movies for us and i yeah. think it's a movie like that for a lot of people um so you guys have the dvd of it and, and you put in the dvd almost every year and then you go back and forth on it well this right one or- i think we watched streaming I, I think it was on like netflix or something uh probably cool. hbo Max. It, it was on one of the streaming things i can't remember probably all of them i imagine um but the, i mean the Again, what can you say about Christmas Vacation? I think most people have seen it, and most people have an opinion of it. And I think most people have a pretty good opinion on it. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's not going to win awards, but it'll win your heart. I remember, actually, that was the first time I 
knew who Julie Louise Dreyfus was, and I remember her being really funny in that movie as well. I don't know if that still recalls. I recall did, Bruce. Did you are you a fan of this movie? Have you seen Christmas Vacation? I am. Yeah, it is. It's good. I I feel like you know the reason I think it originally didn't get liked as much was because the first vacation was so popular and the second one really is not very good and i think it kind of spoiled everybody for the third one they were like really they're going back again so i think it had a lag time where everyone finally just said oh i'll give it a try and then when they actually watched they're like oh this is good like the first one you know and now everyone loves it so yeah Yeah. one one thing one thing they did uh strike me about it watching this time um they never really picked up before and it's always been there i just never picked it up but uh uncle Eddie's daughter, uh, Clark goes all, you know, they make a joke of it, but, uh, Clark kind of talks to the daughter and he really gets an insight on how, um, I, I guess abuse would probably be the right word for it, but how abused those children are. And yeah. certainly, certainly they're put in a position that they can't help. And he really feels bad for them. It's, it's like small moments, um, with him and her, and then after that scene, you know, you get like little nuggets here and there. And as funny as C- Cousin Eddie is, I was kind of watching this and, uh, you know, with, you know, I don't have kids of my own, but just living with my nieces and nephews. I was like, wow, that uncle, her Cousin Eddie's kind of it a got piece dark. of shit. And <laughs> yeah. those, uh, those kids are like literally living in squalor. And so it's it's got a, um, oh, fuck, what's his name? The writer. The writer uh, of the movie. Yes. John Hughes. John Hughes. John Hughes. Jesus. How, how the fuck did I forget his no name? No worries. No but anyway, worries. He, he's got... He, John Hughes has a way of putting moments like that in there, even if they're very hidden. I mean, the the most famous example I can think of is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Um, John Candy, the I Like Me scene. It, he has a way of He has a way of instilling heart in a lot of movies like this. Like, you know, they're dumb, fun, but then, you know, they have... Uh, they have heart, and I think that's why they last. Yeah, Plane Trains, Automobiles, classic. Definitely have to rewatch Christmas Vacation sooner than later. You can watch Christmas Vacation, obviously, Blu-ray, DVD. I'm sure it's available. You can rent it on so many different services. Uh, I mean, you can rent it on you know, Apple TV and YouTube as well. But for streaming, you can. it's available on HBO Max. Like Eric said, a whole bunch of other streaming services AMC Plus is one of them as well. If you have DirecTV, that's good as well. But it's all over the place for Christmas vacation. A, rec- a Christmas recommendation from Eric Holmes and his family. Another recommendation is, I believe, Eric, did, did uh, someone from your family recommend this? Bruce, what's this? Dean Koontz. No, it's a, it was a Dean Koontz wallet watch la- last week. This is a What's in the Box movie. But you know what? Before we do that, I'm going to actually take it upon myself for the happy holidays. Not to throw it to you, Eric. I'm going to be selfish and throw it to myself and say, Pete. Please, why don't you drop that Christmas beat? Who's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? You lie! No! What's in the fucking box? All right, we're back. <laughs> what? what, what, what Pete, drop that wallet watch. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Pete, drop that Dean Koontz wallet watch. <laughs> Pete, did you see this movie called Serendipity? More importantly, Bruce... Serendipity. What? What Serendipity. is this? Serendipity. Yeah. What is it? We all watched it. We all know what yeah, it is. I mean, no. This is is this a movie that uh, just right up your alley? Or, or it's kind of I had, aesthetic. I had heard of it. I'd never seen it before. Uh, rom coms generally aren't my thing. Um, what? This is. Yeah, I know, right? Amazing. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> don't you don't you like star-crossed lovers or love loves that are meant to happen? 
Maybe, what? maybe, maybe not. Okay, good. What is this? 2001, uh, directed by Peter Chelsom. It's available like everywhere, everywhere, like Hulu, Netflix, Pluto. If you look at it, it's like streaming like almost everywhere for free. So you can watch this movie unless you just don't have any streaming service whatsoever. A lot um, of people love this movie, by the way. It has grown yeah. in favor over the years. So. Yep. Uh, John Cusack, Kate Beckinsdale, Jeremy Piven, Eugene Levy, Molly Shannon, bunch of faces that you will recognize. And um, as I was watching this, I was thinking to myself, this is like, what? this is the fast and furious of romance movies. Now, let me <laughs> explain good, this. Wait, that's a good thing, right? I hope that's a good thing. So the way I look at it is fast and furious knows what it is. It does every trope and it does it like times 10. And it gives you everything extra, extra, extra. And if you release yourself to it, you're going to have a hell of a good time most of the time. And this is the romance movie version of that. Okay, it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous right out of the gate. It is impeccably shot. It has great appealing actors. Every trope in the book. And if you release yourself to it, you're going to have a hell of a fun time with this movie. That's what I would say. I enjoyed myself throughout despite my best intentions <laughs> i i was telling my wife as it started i was telling her all the little events at the beginning i mean i guess we should say what it starts so it starts <laughs> so it starts with a sociopath named i don't know her name <laughs> is but <laughs> kate beckinsdale is a crazy person um she has this meet cute with this dude um they both have boyfriends and girlfriends uh because they want to grab the same pair of gloves and she's like well i know we have this great spark but if you really want to know me write your name on this this piece of money this five dollar bill and i'm going to put it in circulation if it comes back to me we're meant to be he's like wait that's not fair i should get to do something so she says okay right you know i'll write my stuff in this book and we'll take it and get it to a used bookstore and you have to and, find that and that's and what by the way of- that book is Gabriel Garcia Marquez's Love in the Time of Cholera. I guess one of the all-time famous romantic novels. I don't know if either of you guys right. have read it. This is one of the, you know, it's a movie about about faded love, no matter what. So oh, I didn't see the symbolism there. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and everything about this is like calculated and ridiculous. And it's a, a ton of fun. I loved it. It was really good. Oh, you, well, how many stars did you get in this one? Uh, four stars. Oof. You're giving Serendipity four stars. I am. Yes. So, my God. So my four stars for Serendipity. Really enjoy this movie. I, here's the thing. What's interesting about Serendipity is John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. They have a ton of chemistry. I, we're going to get to you in a second, Eric. Right from the get-go. So the first act, you're getting to know them as a couple. You go, oh, this is really cool. The rest of the movie centers on about you have you separate the two stars in the film. So the Actually, even though it follows the same tropes and it is the Fast and Furious of rom-coms, it does something that's very, very tough. It separates the two stars away from each other. They're very charismatic and you have to actually, you know, maybe you're believing, maybe they might come together towards the final moments of the third act. But there's all of that whole meat between the end of the first act through all of the second act where there's two separate stories. And the only way those separate stories are going to work, one of the only ways is to make sure that those stories are interesting and what makes that story that meet in the middle interesting are the supporting players played by Molly Shannon, played by Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven plays John Cusack's best friend. In real life, they are very, very close friends. 
also Bridget Bridget Moynihan plays mm-hmm. uh, the the current girlfriend, the fiance of John Cusack's character. So many, and like you said, you mentioned Eugene Levy. So many that interesting scenes, and of course. Awesome. You forget, I believe John Corbett playing this Yanni type. Yeah, this Yanni type (laughs) new age musician who is the boyfriend of Kate Beckinsale's character. So the whole movie, even though it seems very, very tropey, there is that challenge of what happens if you put the two most charismatic people away from each other for most of the movie and it still works. So credit goes to Serendipity. I thought a sneakily ambitious film and. They have a really nice Nick Drake song that I love that it plays in a very pivotal moment in the movie. So really got got to me as well. I actually saw this after we recorded our, our episode last week. I go, oh, yeah, it's it's playing on HBO Max. I'll watch it. So I ended up watching the entire movie. Eric Holmes, you have the most experience with Serendipity. I'm giving it four stars. Bruce gives it four stars. What do you give Serendipity? Yes. Why have you liked it all these years? This movie is really special to me um, because... Uh, I haven't seen him in a long time, but uh, my friend Jason Grotolution back in Omaha, we both love John Cusack. And, uh, you know, we're thinking of uh, writing. It's like, oh, we should write a movie. Yeah, let's let's write it. What we're going to do? It's like, you know what? Like, uh, you know, we could do like a Blood and Guts, but fuck it. Let's write, let's write a rom-com. You know, just... And uh, we started writing the rom-com. And the idea we had was... Uh, oh. Wouldn't it be cool if you had the two main characters, they never meet each other. So, like, the audience builds a relationship with the two. The audience wants the two of them to come together, but they never meet until the very end. And, would, and wouldn't that be a cool movie? And then so we started writing that, uh, you know, obviously pretty poorly because um, neither one of it. Like, I, I, I hadn't written much, and I don't think he's written much at that point, but... You know, we were hanging out at Denny's and we had fun with it. And uh, we're coming up with, like, all these scenes and how the story's going to play out. And, uh, hey, look, the new uh, John Cusack movie's coming out. Let's go watch that. That'll, uh, that'll you know, spark our brains and get us uh, hyped to write some more. And so we go and watch Serendipity. And we leave going, well, we don't have to write anymore. They made our movie <laughs> <It's done. for> <laughs> <us>. <laughs> And it's so, so and, and we weren't angry about it. I, I, I think we were kind of... Uh, it was almost kind of uh, relieving, like, oh wow, that 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 thing we were trying to get, like, we didn't get to make it, but that idea we had, like, it, it's almost like a, it was almost serendipitous, you mm. might say, that that uh, we were uh, trying to come up with this movie, and life just made that movie for us, and um, every you time you I, saw it together in the theaters, for the first, yeah, you know. and so every time I watch that movie, I think of my friend Jason Grolution, and that the fact that we're trying to basically write serendipity without knowing that we're writing serendipity. And so th- this movie always held, uh, this movie is always really special to me. And I think it's a rom-com. It works really well. Um, I would give this movie five stars, but that's, that's a complete personal that's thing fine. for me. Yeah. Um, it's the, always personal. It's always yeah. personal. Our star ratings. So. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that, uh, Bruce picked this one out of the box for uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, Captain, good timing, right? Captain Kangaroo's meat wall. <laughs> do you still do you still keep in touch with your buddy? Does he still like to write? Does he, does he still like John Cusack? I I don't know. I I haven't like actually seen him in person in a long time. Uh, I, I I don't see many people in Omaha. I uh, you know see him post stuff on Facebook once in a while. It's just one of those things. Like the cool thing about social media is like you get to kind of. You have to kind of peek at what people are doing, um, but yeah, mm. it is what right. it is. 
But uh, I don't think he's listening to this. But Jason, if you're listening to this, I still love you. Oh man, I wanted a little bit of a happier ending there. Thanks, Eric, for for, for nothing on that. <laughs> you know Sorry. what you got to do, Eric. You got to Bruce. You got to can you go to Amazon.com right now, order Love in Time of Cholera, send it to Eric, have Eric <laughs> sign it, and then just throw it, mail it to an Omaha Omaha used bookstore. And Eric, and just say, if, hey, Jason, uh, still waiting for our script. Let's do another script together. <laughs> Serendipity 2, where – and I have an idea. Serendipity 2 stars John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale, that, same characters. This this story is the, the, the flip side. The whole movie, all they want to do is stay away from each other, but fate always has them returning. Yeah. All <laughs> – Different circumstances. So, what do you think, Bruce? Uh, we could do that. Yes, that would be good. Okay, okay, we could do that. So, Eric, you're gonna have love in the time of cholera ordered from Bruce Perky. The reason why it's ordered because I don't, I want Bruce to foot the bill. I'm very cheap, and you can actually sign the the message, Jason. We gotta write serendipity to send it over to an Omaha used bookstore. Maybe one of these days, years later, when you're a very successful filmmaker, he might give you a call. It's, hey, I got the cholera book, right? We'll, we'll write serendipity too. Serendipity too. Very, very good. So that is it. That is our final episode of not. It's not our final. I always do this every single week. It's not a bit. I always forget. I always forget. What's in the bleeping box again? What's in the box? What's in the box? Bruce, what's in the box? Bruce Berkey at gmail.com. Email him if you have any movie recommendations for him. This is a recommendation from Mark Crimmins. I don't think mm, we have we ever had one from Mark Crimmins on Mm-mm. here before. I don't we think love so. Mark Crimmins. No. Oh, by the way, probably in the next week or so, I'm going to post the entire list from the last year of what's in the box movies, just so you can yes. see all the things we've watched. Oh. Um, very, very... The Birthday Party by William Friedkin. Oh, Mark Crimmins. Uh, we love Mark Crimmins. The Birthday Party by William Friedkin. He probably listened to our first pod. Wow, that's such a full circle thing mark crimmins the philosophical cinephile he i'm sure the reason why he mentioned the birthday party is why eric because william freaking's awesome <laughs> okay you're the guy who does not remember anniversaries well this is a celebration of our first episode which are was a deep dive into the works of william freaking obviously eric holmes was jesting that actually our first two episodes centered on william freaking it'll be great to return to the works of william freaking yeah. with the birthday party. In fact, let's just assume that both Eric and I, and most importantly Bruce Perky, will be watching the birthday party, and we'll be chiming that, in on whether that would be a good. That would be a good assumption. That would be a very, very good assumption. Any final thoughts from you, Eric Holmes? Maybe a final, final missile to say, "Hey, go watch. Don't look up. Don't listen to Greg and Bruce." You know, um, maybe you watch. Don't look up. Maybe you're uh, with Bruce and. Uh... Greg thinking, don't look up. Yeah, that movie, Eric Wood's wrong. That movie sucked, but I mark my words 10, 15 years from now, everyone will look back on Don't Look Up saying that movie is prophetic and we should have learned the lessons 10, 15 years ago. But better late than never. Very, very good from Eric Holmes. Very prophetic. But by then, the comment already hit us, so we're dead. Okay. Again, another sad ending to our podcast. Eric, coming in with a dark, can you lead us out with some light, Bruce Perky? Um, no, I cannot. Um, I am going to lead you out with a quote from Mimi. Uh, Mimi just wants to tell you that I told you before, grandma's in hell. 
forever. Very cool. With that, we'll see you guys next week. And also stay tuned because we're going to have a quick little 5-10 minute spoilerific situation on Drive Me, drive My Car. I'm a little bit flustered regarding the, the Mimi and Hell reference. We'll talk about Drive My Car and a little bit of the ending of The Power of the Dog. Stay tuned if you want to listen to the spoilers in about 5-10 minutes. What is that in reference to? Or is that just a hell? Is that a hellish reference, Bruce? There's it's just silent. a quote from my number one movie of the year. That's all. Oh, Oh, number one movie of the year. You're going to hear more about it next week on Find Your Film. I don't recall them saying that and don't look up, but I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Well, you know what? I'm gonna, we're going to end with you, Eric. What a way to steal Bruce's thunder, you attention. W-H-O-R-E. I don't like saying bad words. See you guys next week. All right, guys. We're back with our just quick spoiler section. This will be very, very quick. Number one, Drive My Car. At the end of Drive My Car, we have the main character. I believe his name is Yasuki. He did not want to play Uncle Vanya for forever because he did not want to essentially uh, – what he did not want to deal with the words and the themes of Uncle Vanya, which is about dealing and processing your own grief and realizing you have to stack days upon days upon days. So he was a stage director. Ultimately, due to the tragedy of the person, the young actor playing Uncle Vanya, he ended up being convicted and uh, for for actually manslaughter, for actually beating up someone to death. And that actor is gone. So now Yasuki, Yasuki at the end of Uncle Vanya, just by default, has to step in as Uncle Vanya. And it's a very cathartic moment for everybody because he ends up really uh, pulling it off, pulling the role off. Okay, so that is the first end of the movie and. Bruce was talking about different endings in Drive My Car. It actually ends with his driver, um, Toko Miura, the actress played, uh, and her character is Misaki. Misaki is at the end, is by herself, and it's not, Yusuke is nowhere to be found. She's driving his red Saab, and she's driving his Saab into a, a grocery store. And you're thinking, okay, she's by herself. Maybe she's somewhere in Hiroshima where the movie is set. Maybe she's in Hiroshima and picking up some groceries, but no. Here's a subtle thing. When she goes into the grocery store, the the grocery clerk, the cashier, speaks to her in Korean. So you're assuming she might be in Korea. She can't be in Japan or Hiroshima. Why is she speaking Korean? And then it ends with her going back in the car and driving off with the groceries. That's the end of Drive My Car. Bruce, Eric, do you have any interpretations on, on why they ended it as such? I did not pick up the uh, the different languages. So, I, right, right, so, right, so right away, um, unless I'm familiar with the language, like if they went from, like, say, Japanese to uh, German or Japanese to Spanish or something like that, I maybe I would have picked up on that, but I didn't even pick up on that until you just mentioned it. I, I okay. mean, to me, I thought, I thought, okay, here's what I saw. Is the only ending is basically about... Uh, Yasuka and Masaki, Masaki? is that I get the name right? Yeah, Yasuka and Masaki. Yeah, very good. Um, being able to, through their friendship and through that final trip up to her hometown, they both basically are giving each other permission to move on at that point. And by by the friendship and listening to each other and all the stuff that happens, right? And I just thought that, and that's why he can do the play, you know, finally. And I thought that basically. You're not sure why she's there, but the point of her being there with the car and with the dog and all that stuff is that he is so given up the past. He's finally been able to give it up. He's been able to do the play. He doesn't have to have the tape anymore. He doesn't have to keep listening to his wife or girlfriend, whatever, um, reading the play. And he can give up the car, too. It's like someone getting rid of the clothes out of the closet, finally, from someone who's died. 
is the way I read it. And on top of that, she feels um, free to kind of go on with her life because she's been living in this kind of stasis, you know, just driving other people around, right? She's been living other people's lives, but she hasn't been living her own life. So I, I saw it as like, you're seeing her going out and doing something for herself. So apparently she's taken a trip or she's moved or she's left the country. She's have, She has a dog, which she was connecting with at that party or that dinner. Um, not that dog necessarily, but she, and she loved the car. So she's actually able to go on with her life. So in that one scene, you're seeing that they both got to go on with their lives and live a new life. That's yeah, why I read it. Well, look, Speaking of reading, we don't know the source material. We don't read the works of Haruki Murakami. It's based on his short story. Okay, so obviously you're going to get more context regarding the ending of Drive My Car if you do read the short story, I'm assuming. But my read on this, on Drive My Car, is, and I, I think it was actually added to you, Bruce, the whole, the whole name is Drive My Car. It's the process of letting go. The guy yeah. is holding on to his car for so long because it brings him memories of his of his time with his wife because she's reading lines to him from Uncle Vanya. So he gets to actually connect with her on that long drive. But he's also in his own little fantasy world and his own little shelter. At the end of this, the fact that he was able to process the grief and move on via Uncle Vanya, he gives his car to, to Misaki. And now she can actually take that car, that red sob, and like you said, lead her own life with the dog that she loved from the dinner. And she also mentioned how much she was moved by the actual play by Uncle Vanya and the words within the play. So you're assuming maybe she is, she was pretty much a very quiet person, but she's actually learned a little bit about how art, how that play, how she, she's actually growing as a person as well. It's very subtle, and but it's, it's really cool that now she's the owner of that car, Presumably, or and she's moving on with her own life, maybe in Korea or whatnot. Because in the dinner, the Korean, um, the the guy mentioned the Japanese man. He he married a Korean, his Korean wife, and he got to learn not just the Korean language but sign language as well. So he was very interested in the culture. So maybe if you're putting two to two and two together, why did Misaki suddenly learn Korean as well? Maybe she's becoming interested in Korean, the the language. Maybe she's interested in the play, but maybe none of that matters. The most important is she, she like Yusuke, they are both interested in living their life and not ending it. They both want to keep driving that proverbial car, such as the end of Drive My Car. Yeah. And don't you think with Misaki, it was like um, her getting agency because a big part of her existence was serving others. And she had been like abused from her mom, but also had this combination of guilt like incredible guilt for her mom, like not doing anything when her mom was buried in that, you know, thing. And yeah, when you see her at the beginning, so like she, she has like almost no personality. She literally will just sit out in the cold and wait to drive people around. And that's see, all she does. See, I, I, I didn't take that as uh, her servicing other people. I think that's cause I do that sometimes. Um, the, uh, Oh, you know, uh, you can come, uh, you want to leave and come back. It's like, nah, just wait here in the car. Because I just like sitting with my own thoughts, and so, and then w with the, uh, oh yeah, I'll pass out for a while, and then and then you wake me up, and, and then I can drive. It's like no, I'll drive, because it, you know when you're driving or when you're just sitting there by yourself, you can be there in your own thoughts. I, I kind of read that as her, um, not servicing other people, but she kind of shutting herself off 
Yeah, and, I agree. Intros- I agree. Introspective a little more. Um, which, but she definitely way, hasn't come out. Come out not of her a bad shell. place to be sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Both are correct. I mean, she's coming out of her shell. The reason why she actually moved to Hiroshima, obviously, is the the death of her mother, the tragic death. Both of them believe that they were killers because they both of them didn't act accordingly. Right. You know, one was late for the meeting and was uh, more of an ignoring thing, and she didn't maybe move due to inaction. You know, she maybe she didn't give herself credit. But to your point, Eric. The the way she, the reason why she moved to Hiroshima was not, I was it wasn't purpose filled. Her car ran out of gas or it broke down. She right. ended up in the town, no place to go. So what else? What does she do? She does the only thing she knows how to do is drive people around in service of them, and it's part of her job. But yeah. now at the end of the movie, she's driving herself, she's taking care of her dog, she's buying groceries, and the road is open before her. Such is the end of drive. That's these are all interpretations, and until we read the short story, maybe we won't get a full answer. But it's so cool that we could have so so many different interpretations from drive my and, car, and, and maybe her driving alone with the dog. That's uh, maybe that's a sad ending for some people. It's like <laughs> not uh, she, to me. <laughs> so she, she just gets to live in her head, a lonely existence. But I mean, that's kind of like the uh, end of AI, where oh, right. uh, mm-hmm. Haley Joel Osment is just staring at this thing. It's fake. So looking on it, you know, looking on it's like, wow, that's really sad. But for the character, it's like, this is exactly where I want to be. So Okay. Now, the power of the dog towards the end. Bruce, did you like the the ending? Where Eric, did all of those, the puzzle box, did you figure out the puzzle box, like what happened regarding killing him and, and all that stuff? And No. I, in I mean, fact, I, I don't Chekhov's cow? Chekhov's cow Chekhov's is what Chekhov's I call it. Chekhov's cow. Chekhov's cow. So you mean, early on when they go, don't go near that cow. It is poisonous. If you touch that cow, it will kill a bunch of things. Okay, Bruce. Okay. <laughs> I love that. No, Anthrax I mean, it's a big part of Oh, go ahead, Bruce. I was going to say, this is the pulpy part of it to me. Okay, so he purposely gives the skin to, you know, to him to make Bill. into the rest of the rope because he knows he has a cut and he's going to have his hand in the water and he's going to get anthrax and he's going to die and that's his ultimate revenge. But th- this is where the pulpy part comes to, him to me is that like there's no way he could have planned all those things to happen. He couldn't plan for the rabbit to bite him. He couldn't plan for those guys to come and buy all of the the other um that you know gummit, the joke cow he wanted to get caught yeah, so it's like, it, I mean, it, it, it's silly. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, no, I loved it. I loved it. Well, Eric, there's a, a couple of clues that Peter Gordon, played by Cody Smith and McPhee, all of the marbles might not be right up there for him because he's yeah. studying to be a doctor, okay? You, you know right from the get-go yeah. that he was very gentle initially with the rabbit. It starts off when you realize <laughs> kills the, first, the first rabbit, not only does he kill it, he dissects that, that first rabbit. He's dissecting the rabbit because he's trying to study it. And he, I'm thinking of it. Is this a remake of, of Mice and Men? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, he's dise- so Peter Gordon is dissecting that rabbit. So there's the clue that he's actually he, – not only is he dissecting the rabbit, he, even, though, even though Peter Gordon seems weak to all the ranch ants, he's a lot stronger and smarter than people give him credit for including phil burbank played by benedict cumberbatch so what happens at the, the throughout the narrative is peter gordon's the, the third act is peter gordon's seduction of phil burbank into his world he tries to treat phil burbank as a mentor as a possible who knows lover because phil burbank that's what when he realizes that phil has that stash of porn and explicit photographs in his uh, in his hideaway right down by the, right near the creek 
he realized, okay, maybe if I play him, maybe if I start moving the chess pieces, and then then and then you have the anthrax with the with the animal right that he finds. So he puts two and two together. He makes rawhide with a little bit of that anthrax thing. And again, to Bruce's point, he never knew that Phil Burbank would actually have a, a big cut on his hand due to the rabbit. So, but what happens is he puts two and two two and two together. Peter Gordon uses that rawhide material, soaks it in the water, and then when Phil puts his hand in the water, then he's completely infected. And it's Bronco Henry. <laughs> Thank Bronco Henry. Bronco Henry. Okay. Don't laugh. That's supposed to be touching. Can, I, am I wrong? Would this, with just a tiny tweak, this could be a very funny comedy? You could. It could. Yeah, I know. You, <laughs> you did a little bit of a comedic. I, I, yeah. Fair and fair. So, so Eric, or at the very last shot is him looking out the window. Oh, he has the gloves on, so he won't get sick. And he puts the rope under his bed, his murder weapon. And then he looks out the window and he gives just a little a smile because his plan came to fruition and he yeah. killed his evil. His evil. See, yeah. So like, I, I think uh, one, of the, one of the problems with the power of the dog is, uh, and this, this worked in There Will Be Blood, but I think it worked better in the screenplay. There's a part where uh, the son, H.W. Plainview, uh, lights lights the the bedroom on fire. Uh, the mm. the Daniel Plainview's air quote cousin or brother or whatever comes hanging out, and uh, and his son burns the place down. And they run out and they're like, "Why'd you do that? Why'd you do that?" And then the rest of the movie goes on without you know saying much about it. One that in the script, um, you know, H.W. Plainview is deaf, and so there's a scene where he's he can't understand what they're saying, but he's talking to, he sees uh, Daniel Plainview and his air quote brother talking to each other. And he notices body language. So he knows something's up and he knows that his air quote brother is full of shit. And so he lights the place on fire because this guy's a fraud. At least that's how it comes through in the script. Doesn't come through that way at all in the, uh, in the movie. Because a lot of the stuff in the script is stage notes and stuff and, and character uh, background and stuff that you just don't get unless it's in dialogue or you're showing it. I wonder if I'd be curious to read the script for Power of the Dog because I wonder if maybe there's some stuff like that hmm. where there's like think- character motivations maybe written within the script that they just didn't shoot because you can't shoot stuff like that. That I think a lot of people might have uh, kind of bumped it up a notch. I think a lot of people would have are, did, missed the the killer, pulp killer, sociopath element to the power of the dog. A lot yeah. of things were missed, and I think it's normal because I, I think even our uh, cinematic Facebook group member Joseph Bridges said that in his review he said there's going to be parts of this movie. A lot of people when they watch this movie they're going to miss a very important part. That that'll escape that'll escape a lot of people. So yeah. I think it's I think yeah some people who I don't know some people may not like the movie because it, it has a little bit too much of a puzzle box. Bruce solved the puzzle anyway, but he still disliked the movie. Gave it a what three three star movie. It's still a mild yeah. recommend. But I, I still, just wanted I it to it. I wanted it to embrace the pulp and because yeah. it's pretending to be art 
but it's really not. It's just it's just oh, fun God. pulp. Art. It's total art. It's this would be it's like a, a Brian De Palma movie if it wanted yeah, to be. <laughs> I mean, this is a biblical. He reads a biblical passage at the end of the finished rope is under ridiculous. his bed. He just tucks it under his bed. I want to see a Bronco Henry flashback musical sequence. <laughs> <laughs> and the power of the dog refers not to Phil Burbank who lords over the ranch with his supposed power. No, the power, the real dog is Peter Gordon, the person who will kill people at his beck and call with his calculating measure. So that's why I loved the power of the dog. Well, that, so, that was another problem we had with this movie. Not enough dogs. <laughs> that's right. Dogs. Like, well, I, Aaron, I, don't, I, I don't even... I, don't get the, I know it was like a biblical passage, but I don't get the... I don't understand what it means. The power and, of the dog? Yeah. yeah, the, it, yeah I the, think it's... I, I'm trying to remember if it's referenced in the... In the it, in the Bible about I forgot I forgot what the it was some 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 power of the dog and I remember I they it, they said that but I, I'm like I I still don't I I don't get the 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 quote was so esoteric and poetic that it's like I guess if I thought about it, it probably means means something but it's it almost feels like the uh, I'm telling you like man. like I can write my own scripts I don't need to write this movie script for it too so, wait so go. did this did this movie have a little bit, little bit of an upscale so now now you're seeing it are you seeing it in a different way the fact that you didn't know no that, I, I, uh, I I like that the, I like that there's stuff that I missed on it that I can that I can go back to. Yeah, he was um, murdered. Phil Burbank was murdered. He just didn't he didn't die. He was murdered yeah. by the guy he actually was falling in love with. The yeah. guy who was falling in love with he wanted to be his him. Bronco Henry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, Remember? can we mention how funny the sequence is when they're? Oh, I'm sorry, it's not funny. Yeah, I like oh. it's funny. <laughs> the dueling banjo piano scene is one of the most hilarious scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> Whenever, if I ever see Kirsten Dunst in person, I'm going to make her say, Pant, can't you play the piano piece for me? Play the piano piece for me right now. So there's so many scenes I love in The Power of the Dog. Especially. And I, I quoted, I, 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 came up, I, I came up with Cumber Banjo. Cumber, Cumber Banjo is what I call Cumber, that. <laughs> Cumber Banjo, yes. And you know... And I love Cody Smith McPhee, but no rabbits near him, please. No rabbits I, near him because he's honestly, a rabbit killer. I, honestly, we probably should have just done this spoiler as the regular thing. Cause I could get, <laughs> it, it gives it gives away things, but like now I'm thinking of it. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think uh, I think this would bump at least another half star. Uh, yeah, like yeah, I, it I'm does. starting to think. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to. The whole yeah, third I, act I, is a slow. I, a seduction I, movie. I just yeah. I just did not catch a plot in this movie at all. And then okay, no. I, I think I think I get it now. Because yeah. it, it just seemed like a bunch of random things happening, and then mm, like the, the ending. That fuck, I barely even remember the ending. Uh, but it was just another thing, and you know the characters were, you know, it, 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 if you find them interesting, that's cool. And you know, for some parts I did, other parts I didn't care. But uh, on a narrative, it, on a narrative it's kind of it's kind of opening up the movie for me. <laughs> well, what, you know what? Another thing that, and don't listen to Bruce, please. Another thing that, that's very interesting about the, about the part of the dog, okay, which is very subtle. The whole third act is driven by Cody McPhee's character, yeah. and he doesn't show up until towards the end, like over the half of the movie is pretty much almost finished, and he shows up right out of nowhere, and he's the one driving the rest of the narrative because yeah. he's the well, one. I mean, he, he's the one. He, he he was towards the beat. Wasn't that towards the beginning where he was making the flowers? And he was giving them shit about right, like, right, right. Oh, these are real pretty flowers. And you know, 
Basically, there's that concentration uh, scene, Bruce. There's a there's a, didn't oh, you yeah. like that. That wasn't that, that was not pretty. There's a skinny dipping scene, Bruce. Didn't you like that? The, I, the, I just kept thinking like if this was Nicolas Cage instead of Cumberbatch, and it could have been the the power of the pig, the, the power, power of the pig. Of the pig. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not saying you, uh, Bruce. You probably are not encouraging Eric to rewatch the rewatch the power of the dog, right? No, I think he's encouraged. I yeah. think he I think he likes it better. Yeah, okay. I, I think I do too. Because it's yeah. kind of like a, I I think I get it now. Which, well, th- this wouldn't well, be the first movie that went completely over my head. Well, my suggestion is watch the third act of The Power of the Dog when when Cody Mc- Smith McPhee's character is introduced to Benedict Cumberbatch and just watch that that rest of the narrative. And then, well, watch. no, because I, I I think I think what uh, what I can get out of it watching it again is kind of because uh, even without knowing all that, I could watch it again and kind of know where Benedict Cumberbatch's anger comes from. Yeah, that's because true. that when when he finds out that he's uh, oh you got a bunch of gay porn here you like guys right and and then that's kind of when their uh, relationship starts you know at first he's right. worried about it and well, then he the kind of the key scene is when he walks when uh, the young kid walks very slowly past the whole crowd of guys and they're all like like making fun of him. And then he walks all the way back, and that's when he calls him over. And he says, "Like, hey," <laughs> and he starts talking about making the rope. <laughs> that's the seduction scene, right? Isn't that where he's right, like exactly. exactly? He's like no, he's walking I, like a like a like a a bird, like displaying its feathers to him. So yeah, and the fact that he was unfazed when people were mocking him, yeah, all the yeah. other ranch hands were, and the fact that he, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch's character is saying, "Oh, this guy was not phased." This 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 guy might be a lot a little bit more interesting than I initially thought, and that's when he brings him in slowly but surely. And there's also right. that wonderful scene where he kills a kills a rabbit, and you know, <laughs> Phil Burbank is just like, "What just happened? You just snapped his neck like that." What? And the scene where <laughs> here's this comedy again, where Coverbatch is carrying a giant log like a giant rod. <laughs> To show off for him, I'm telling you, man, this could be a really funny comedy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, so. Yeah. I, I, I think I knew. And it. pounds it into the ground. I'm glad. I'm the, glad you're thinking about it. This is gonna be like. Uh, this is gonna be like six cents. Now yeah. that I get it, I'll watch it again and go, "Oh, it's a completely different movie." And, yeah, okay. Well. So since we're talking about that, um, uh, <laughs> the longest Kirsten Dunst. Ever. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's all happened. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what? Kirsten Dunst. So she just became an alcoholic. Just. Yes. seemingly out of nowhere yes. and then yes. got out of control and then yes yeah is she starts hiding it what am i missing there you're missing that he basically mentally abused her and he okay just triggered her so i, he I triggered didn't her. miss anything then he was i, yeah, I thought he, maybe there was something else going on there i mean and she's coming from a whole you know relationship with you know her, her own past that and her son might be involved with that but you never peter gordon played by cody smith mcphee is such a sociopath you don't put it past him for who knows maybe what happens at the end of the power of the dog does he end up also killing the jesse plemons character because you realize he has the the rope the noose uh, the rope uh, under his bed and he's reading biblical passages you never know what his next move is right you just don't know so that's why they leave that the ending very open he found his dad remember right he found his dad so yeah you're assuming i think you put two and two together eric peter gordon might have actually this, killed this his actually own father bumped up to a four star <laughs> 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 all right guys with that it's a uh, long episode no no, let, let, no let's keep talking we'll see if we're bumping <laughs> right, up to five stars. okay guys we will see you later tell us what you think of the power of the dog drive my car and all the other films that we covered this week 
And uh, thanks again for being a part of our Find Your Film universe. Take care, guys, and Merry Christmas.